African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you very much uh, for all that news update. Uh, it takes us uh, to seven minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Uh, thank you for joining us on our various platforms into Sub-Saharan Africa. Remember, uh, we've got our main service on shortwave on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa and DSTV in South Africa. We on that channel 802 on the audio bouquet and we are in some uh, countries in the Sadak region who have that particular channel and uh, you can also listen to us uh, from outside the continent and even within from www.channelafrica.co.za well everyone has been talking about FOCAC which is the Forum on China Africa Corporation which concluded its third summit meeting in Beijing yesterday where vast majority of Africa's 55 countries sent their top leaders to join Chinese President Xi Jinping Ping in Beijing. It's all about strengthening relations between China and Africa. And this year's declaration and actions were adopted really focusing on this theme titled toward an even stronger China-Africa community with a shared value. And also the other focuses was the FOCAC Beijing Action Plan, which were adopted at the two-phase roundtable meeting. And this uh, meeting was chaired respectively by the Chinese president and the president of South Africa Sarah Ramaphosa, who is a co-chair of the forum. Well, to help us on this, we've got a great panel on the line. We've got Lumkile Mondli, who is a political analyst joining us there, and Kwabas van Staden, senior researcher at the Foreign Policy Program from the South African Institute of International Affairs, and Andres Opperman, who is a lecturer in economics and Mandarin at an institution called Aros. And uh, we'll start the conversation with you, Kwabas, in terms of looking at this particular summit. There was so much that was addressed at the summit, but there was a tone that was very, very on a defensive mode. Uh, we heard uh, uh, both the presidents of China and South Africa really standing against this idea that uh, this uh, collaboration between China and Africa is a new form of uh, colonization, which is at the attempt of uh, China. It seemed like they were very, very insistent on the narrative that seems to uh, dominate So when we speak about uh, China's involvement with Africa. What was your take on uh, that, uh, m- uh, that mode of talk that we heard from both presidents? It was interesting for me that they, that they addressed it so, so directly. Um, that, that theme, the, the idea that China is a neo-colonial power in Africa, we've, we've seen that theme coming up for many years. Um, and I find it quite a problematic way of thinking about the relationship. Um, the relationship is very unequal. Um, so that, that is true. You know, China does have a lot more money than Africa. Um, but I, I think calling the relationship colonial, you know, is in a sense whitewashes the, the actual 
crimes of the actual colonial era when Europe was controlling Africa. So, you know, China might be problematic in lots of ways, but it's not a violent power the way that Europe was. And it, and it, um, it didn't strip decision-making away from, from, from African governments the way that Europe did. Um, you know, China isn't holding a gun against anyone's head, and Europe literally was holding a gun to Africa's head. Um, so I think, you know, we, we, need, we need new words to describe the relationship. And, and I, I think it is probably a good thing that, that it was addressed so clearly. Mm. Lumkila, your thoughts on uh, um, that narrative that was addressed? Lumkila, are you there with us? Not I'm here, sorry. I'm, uh, I'm here. Sure. I'm meeting, sorry. Oh, sure. So, I just want to differ with uh, Gobas. Okay. Uh, in the sense that, you know, colonialism, we only can understand it post implementation. So the argument that kind that China is different from our colonizers, in this case, Britain, uh, is a very, very false argument in the sense that we, uh, we just experienced Chinese investment in the past 30 years in the rest of the African continent. Therefore, that impact and what lessons can be learned will probably be understood by our children, whether was China different from the colonizers. So it's still very, very premature. And also the evidence that was seen, particularly around countries like Zambia uh, and, and some of the privileged countries, about what China is doing there in terms of its relationship with the local population, raises quite a lot of issues because the colonialism of the past and of today, because of activism by NGOs, by civil rights organizations, and many of us who are concerned about exploitation of the masses of our people, are watching them. So it can't be violent. It's got to find other ways. And we argue that probably now instead of using guns, and machine guns, and, and other forms of violence, money is being used as power uh, to try and dominate our space as Africans. Lumkila, just to try to get to your issue, it sounds very um, uh, very political from your perspective, but I want you to unpack really why you have such a great criticism on, on this relationship. Well, my concern about relationship really is that currently the African governments themselves have still their own people. I mean, Many of them were freed in the 1960s, and they are still a basket case. Some of them are worse than they were when the colonizers left them uh, in the early 60s. I mean, South Africa, if you talk about South Africa, the, the, the gaps around education, the gaps around uh, access to opportunities, can favor a very few black elite uh, that goes to the ruling African National Congress. So those issues are African issues, and African leaders aren't going to get away with that lack of accountability by getting money from the Chinese. So a lot of these issues, uh, given the resource endowment in African countries, including ours, remains a challenge of African leadership management, particularly in this case, of them having macroeconomic and microeconomic strategies that are are influenced by our own experiences and our own agenda as Africans. So this agenda where every time you see that the Chinese now in the past of the British or the Dutch, as long as Africa continues to pursue its development agenda by begging, by carrying begging balls and trying to steal other people's ideas, 
Africa is going to continue left behind, and the children of Africa will continue begging and becoming a basket case of being fed mm. by the rest of the world. Okay. I get your viewpoint. Andris, what are your thoughts? Very differing views that are coming both from Kwebis van Staden and Lumkile Mondli. What's your assessment of this uh, dynamic, especially around this idea of China becoming a colonial power on the continent? Uh, good day, Benjamin, and, and thank you for the opportunity, and good day to your listeners. Yes, uh, there's definitely a, a narrative nowadays that um, uh, China might be some sort of um, dragon who's coming to um, Africa for his breakfast with soy sauce. Um, <laughs> but but uh, recently I was to uh, Zambia, and um, uh, the road north um, uh, is... I've, I've driven on that road a number of times, and that the road north is um, non-existent. And uh, China is building um, a four-lane highway um, to facilitate trade. So, um, um, yes, indeed, there might be an imbalance, or there is definitely an imbalance in power. Um, but also the relationship is not one-sided at all. Um, we do get benefit from, um, from it. Um, there's a there's a, um, a famous Chi- Chinese proverb which says, "Jing di ji wa," and 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 this proverb is saying that um, uh, don't be a frog in a well. So we tend to to have a, um, a narrow view of what we know mm. and what we have experienced, mm. um, but that does not necessarily mean that the only thing out there is a blue sky. Um, mm. If you if you get my point, okay, I get your point, and I, I just also want to look at uh, how this relationship is manifesting itself. And you're right, Andres, because there has been a huge infrastructural project on the African continent that is happening through China's investment. Um, I want to look at those particular investments and, and what they mean for the continent. Let me come to you, Kwebas, because you, you work in this particular area a lot in, in terms of your research. We know that African countries are setting their target on getting billions of dollars of foreign investment uh, from China. The big question that most people are now asking is that when we're looking at China, we're seeing an infrastructure investment deals to 53 African countries. China has loaned around $125 billion to the continent from uh, 2000 to the year 2016. This is according to the China-Africa Research Initiative at Washington John Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies. But the big question is maybe that narrative of Andres is what we needed to see in terms of are we seeing this investment translating to any socioeconomic changes on the ground and especially that uh, infrastructure development uh, um, ambition that Africa has? Well, China is, is doing a lot of, a lot of, as you say, a lot of investment in infrastructure. Um, a lot of that investment is, is also into cross-border infrastructure. So it is train rail lines that, that connect countries rather than just connecting cities. Um, and we see that a lot in East Africa, for example. Um, so those have direct you know, socioeconomic benefits. Um, it is now you know, the, the time, for example, to, to move from, um, from Nairobi to Mombasa in, um, on the Kenyan coast um, has been 
take you know has been reduced from days to hours um, thanks to a, a new Chinese train line. Um, so in that in that kind of sense, you know, infrastructure is very useful in the sense to tend to help. The issue is um, is whether African governments are proactive enough in terms of demanding um, that demanding the best deals from China and then also making sure that these deals are are implemented in ways that have the maximum maximal um, social impact in the country. Um, so Chinese companies tend to have you know, it's a set of priorities that they want to. They want to make sure that things come in on budget. They want to make sure that they come in on time. And so from their perspective, it's just easier frequently to work with mostly Chinese workers. Um, African governments have been relatively successful in, in getting more and more African workers hired and getting more and more African companies, especially like resource companies like cement manufacturers, for example, to be pulled into into these projects. Um, they can do a lot more about a lot more to, to boost that um, and to, to, to widen the social impact. But but a lot of it we have to as Africans we have to take into account that our governments have a lot more power in relation to China than we think. Um, you know, so African governments can set the terms, um, and, but it, it comes down to putting political pressure on them to do so. And in terms of that, why haven't we seen that, um, you know, demand being made by the African continent? Because we do have a, a huge market, we have a great uh, youth demographic, and, you know, these projects can actually allow young people to be employed. And also we've got uh, resource extractions as well on the African continent. So we do have uh, some sort of capital to leverage upon, uh, Quibus. That's true. Um, however, you know what, what you find frequently with these these kind of projects is that um, you need a certain amount of people who can push wheelbarrows, um, you know, and, and like so, so so relatively low skilled work. And those on, on big Chinese projects, those tend to be um, done by Africans, you know. So so you frequently have a kind of a, a, a you know, 70, 30 or, or 80, 20 kind of split, you know, where, where the, the kind of less skilled parts of, of the work are frequently done by, by African people. Um, but then when you're looking for engineers, for example, African engineers, because they're relatively scarce, they can also command very high wages. So, so for those, on those levels, sometimes getting African personnel can become quite expensive. Um, so it depends very much on the particular kind of African countries that you're looking at. Um, in terms of looking at, at Africa as a market, I think China is actually quite far ahead for that. Um, you know, for example, Chinese Chinese uh, phone companies, mobile phone companies, have very aggressively expanded in Africa, um, and they're far ahead of most of their competitors, very, very much far ahead um, than U.S. companies. Um, so I think China is actually waking up to Africa as a massive emerging market quite, quite a lot quicker than Western companies. Numkila, mm. how do you navigate that reality that is brought forward by both Corbus and Andres, the fact that there are some benefits that we're getting from China? Uh, yes, despite the fact that there are still uh, some deficits to overcome. Well, in fact, you know, our recent experience in South Africa uh, has left us very embarrassed, uh, specifically looking at South China railways. Um, and how they've dealt with their relationship with Transnet, uh, and to an extent with Gupta-linked um, uh, companies. So we have yet to see a huge 
a railway build program that will have been in the South Africa as per the procurement requirement that um, had been put across. So that track record, as well as the continuous um, evading of questions around the ESCOM uh, loans that were extended in the BRICS company that were announced by our president when, um, when President Xi was here for the BRICS summit, uh, the fact that we still don't know the terms of that engagement. Uh, for us as South Africans who are really demanding accountability and transparent, uh, we remain very vigilant. Uh, but, you know, their, their conduct and the conduct of our government, as long as it's not transparent, uh, is going to make us very much wiser. We, we, we understand that, you know, we've got huge gaps infrastructurally, uh, with high levels of unemployment and poverty. But that cannot be addressed by borrowing money at all costs. We need transparency. We need accountability as how that money is being implemented. So I remain uh, very skeptical uh, given the fact that, as I've said earlier, that African governments go there blindly uh, at a huge cost for the, the rest of the population. Let me take a quick break. I want you to deal with those contrasting views, uh, Andres, after our break. We're looking at the China-Africa Cooperation uh, Forum that was uh, taking place in Beijing. It ended yesterday. A lot of conversations taking place, and we heard a very strong outblast coming from both uh, Chinese uh, President uh, Xi Jinping and President Cyril Ramaphosa against this narrative that Lumkile seems to insist is taking place, which is the fact that China is becoming a new colonial power on the African continent. Engage with us on our social media. What are your thoughts on that? We are on at Channel Africa 1. That's our Twitter handle at Channel Africa 1. You'll see our post there. We ask really the question around what is this relationship between China and Africa all about? Give us your thoughts. What do you think as the listener? Let's take a quick break. We'll be back after this. Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu. We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people. And we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country. Hashtag Mama Sisulu Centenary. Channel Africa, leading the Women's Month conversations. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it's one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1,000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1,000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1,000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. 
Thank you for joining us. Uh, this is African Dialogue. We come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Uh, today we're looking at uh, uh, the FOCAC gathering that everyone in South Africa specifically has been talking about. And it seems like it's becoming even a mainstream story, the relationship between China and Africa. I was actually surprised how um, it was well covered in South Africa media uh, this time around. And if you just joining us now. We're joined by Quibus van Staden, Senior Researcher at the Foreign Policy Program, which is part of uh, the South African Institute of International Affairs. And also we have Lumkile Mondli, a political economist, joining us on the line. And finally, but not least, we have Andres Wopperman, who is a lecturer in economics and Mandarin at Aros. Uh, Andres, different views that are coming from both Quibus uh, and Lumkile. Uh, Lumkile highlighting the issue that uh, if these deals are not taking place in an transparent and accountable environment, uh, then it poses a lot of questions around the nature of these particular deals, whereby uh, um, Quibus von Staden is highlighting the fact that we have seen some gains uh, that are taking place through this relationship, emphasizing what you started talking about in terms of the infrastructural development that we're seeing taking place through China. What are your thoughts? Yes, thank you. Um, I want to pick up on something that both Quibus and Mkile mentioned or, or uh, referenced to is that is that um, we should remember that none of these um, investments are forced uh, on Africa. So we est- yesterday we have seen the Togolese president, Mr. Foar, that he's been pleading for an increase of Chinese investment in Africa. And we also know that our own president, uh, Mr. Ramaphosa, has made... Um, the attractment of foreign investment, a cornerstone of his economic policy. Mm. So the question for me is, what is the intent of these investments in Africa on China's side? Well, apart from the uh, uh, straightforward intent of profiting, um, one needs to deconstruct it. And and I think my colleague Quibus might correct me on this, but for the biggest part, I think about 20% um, of China's investment in Africa goes to oil-related projects. But, but after oil, the majority goes to Redland Road. I think it's about 18 or 18.5 percent, if I'm not mistaken. So, so if you hear rail and road, you should immediately start hearing the bells of the Silk Road. Mm. So, and that is the, uh, the Belt and Road, as you know, initiative, um, which was announced in, I think, 2013 by mm. President Xi. And, and we have seen ports being constructed in Pakistan, India, Thailand, um, railways from China to London, and also in Africa. And the purpose of these infrastructure investments is to make trade easier with China. Um, uh, some estimates already that uh, uh, the uh, Road, new modern Silk Road initiative or the Belt and Road initiative is the largest infrastructure investment project in history. So China is literally paving the way for future trade between China and I think it's 68 countries, including Africa. So it addressed the infrastructure gap, which uh, then uh, will give us the potential to accelerate growth also in Africa. And I think that is the purpose of uh, these infrastructure investments. And I also think that gives us a perspective of what they want to, to achieve with the money that they bring into the continent. And, and, and that note of Lumkile speaking about the issue of transparency? 
I agree. We we have the responsibility definitely to um, to uh, act responsible, and um, uh, I think that's that might also be a reason um, why China might be investing in infrastructure more so than previous um, uh, maybe traditional uh, Western investments in Africa. Is that um, uh, uh, they are trying, or they might be trying, to bypass governments and uh, to invest in something that's on the ground, that's there, where, where, wherever government is changing, that there's a road there on the road which they can use for trade. Um, and they're investing in uh, education. So I've myself been involved with um, uh, uh, helping the Shandong Normal University in China, mm. giving out 50 or more bursaries to Africans. So they, 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 they want to engage with the people on the ground just as much as they want to engage with the governments, or even more so. Um, and I think we should um, keep our governments accountable, that, that they're doing the best that they can. And what Lung um, Kile uh, also referred to, I think um, we would be in a much better position um, as a continent if we um, can start negotiating as a continent instead of in the individual nations. And I think that might be a positive thing, thing coming from the uh, focused summit is that China is engaging with us as a continent and not individual governments. Mm. Is is that a good thing, Quibus, that we are approaching these uh, uh, deals from a continental level, um, especially due to the fact that uh, China in itself is such a large economy? The, the relationship between China and Africa tends to break down into lots of bilateral relationships. Mm. Um, and there's been push uh, pushed for it to to be approached more continentally. Um, obviously, you know the the both the, the rise of the AU as a as a managing factor in Africa, and also uh, the the free trade in um, free trade area that's been agreed earlier this year. Um, you know, to pushes Africa to more towards dealing with with powers like China as a collective. However, some of that is a little undercut, I think, within Africa frequently because some stronger African countries tend to tend to be a little wary of of uh, having bodies like the AU t- take an overseeing role. Um, they tend to countries like South Africa and Nigeria frequently tend to uh, want to you know have control over their own relationships with China. Um, so it's a little bit of pulling in both directions at the same time. Um, I think generally, especially as Africa tries to um, tries to integrate more economically, I think it would be probably a good idea for Africa to find some kind of collective idea of what they want from China. Um, because Africa still lacks that, you know, so so that that is probably a good place to start. It's to set a continental kind of list of priorities, mm. um, and then from work from there to develop some kind of mechanisms, you know, for African countries to work together. Obviously, African country Africa is a big place with lots of different countries, and sometimes getting them all to work together can be challenging. Um, but you know, kind of getting them all on the same page is probably a good a good first step. Lumkila, mm. what are your thoughts where we are with the discussion? And Rhys also agreeing with you on some of the pointers that you've made. You can't also run away from the fact that uh, from uh, a country level, um, our countries are very much indebted and sometimes they do need help from a more friendly um 
uh, body such as China who has much more less stringent deals when it comes to the way that they actually borrow money to the continent or the way they partner up with the continent in terms of trading with uh, uh, in terms of expertise and, lang- and education as was highlighted by Andres um, so from your perspective if we needed to negotiate uh, this relationship how do you, would you like to see it panning out in a way that you think would be more objective um, I understand you highlighting the issues of transparency and the ideas of making sure that there's accountability with governments what more from your perspective would need to be done for it to be some some relationship that is manageable well, our understanding of the continent uh, is that uh, one of the challenges in South, uh, in South Africa is our foreign policy and our hands-off approach because you know in the continent, uh, we've got very rogue, very many rogue regimes where human rights uh, are completely being undermined, where people um, are forced to flee their own countries. I mean, look at our neighbor Zimbabwe, where we've got over a million Zimbabweans in Africa. So we're just quite concerned that, you know, in a relationship whereby the value system is not aligned. Uh, you know, we were a constitution. Our constitution uh, supports human rights, supports individual rights, short of rights. And ideally, we would like us ourselves to be doing business with countries that have got similar value system, that pursue very similar interests. So to an extent that these regimes, some of them are rogue, they kill their own people, means that, you know, we are reinforcing a behavior where in countries where civil society uh, and, uh, and people have basically been dislocated from the state, continue uh, being oppressed through accessing these funds, which propel these regimes, who in fact, uh, most of, some of them end up taking money out of the country, out of Africa, and put it elsewhere because of weaknesses in governance in those countries. So this debate, I think, is going to continue raging, uh, raging on, and my my view mm. is that we need to really do more around opening up and calling regimes to account. We can't just be funding regimes that are wrong. Okay, I'm going to take a quick break. You can hear the Lumgile Mondli on the line, still insistent and very much pessimistic and critical around the relationship between China and Africa. We also have Kwebes van Staden, who's joining us from Saya, and Andris Opperman from Aros. Let's take a quick break. We'll wrap up the conversation, and I want to deal with the question of uh, how this relationship can actually benefit, or maybe uh, it could actually be... Um, a problem uh, for the inter-trade relationship in the continent. Should we be leaning on ourselves and trying to deal better from an inter-trade level than lending money from outside? Should we be dealing things uh, from an internal space and dealing with our inter-trade relationships more? We'll deal with that after this. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem.
Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event. I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. You're listening to Channel Africa. This is where you get the African perspective. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if you're listening to us on shortwave or via DSTV, and even on our website, thank you for being part of the Channel Africa family. Well, let's wrap up the conversation with our guest, Quibus. Let me start this part with you and uh, deal with this question around intra-trade versus uh, uh, cooperation of external forces. Because uh, some people say, you know, this uh, focus on getting money from China actually limits how we as Africa can work alongside where Someone else could argue that the investments from China also has an interest in making sure that there's more linkages with Africa working together from a trade perspective. What's your take on that? Well, yeah, I think I think Africa needs as many trading partners as it can get. Um, you know, so Africa needs to to really focus a lot on intra-Africa trade. Um, because it's it's very low. If you, if you look at blocks, um, regional blocks that have managed to develop very rapidly, like the the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, the ASEAN Group, they the inter regional trade is really quite a big part of their of their overall trade. Um, whereas trade between different African countries is still very low. Um, so that that is very important. Um, and then at the same time, I think Africa needs to needs to set up trade relationships with as many partners as possible. China is one big one, but there's a lot of other ones, you know, and and they they all need to be pulled in. And Andres, your thoughts? Um, Kwaba's very complimentary in his answer, seeing a dual um, way in terms of Africa needs to do a business. Your thoughts? Yes, definitely. So um, I think in some way uh, South Africa needs to um, play the cards that they've been dealt um, in, in 1994, China was, I think, the 22nd highest export destination of South African goods. In 2005, they were ninth. 2006, they were sixth. 2007, fifth. And in 2009, uh, they become the first of uh, um, on our list of export destination. So, so they started from uh, um, buying about, I think, uh, 0.5% of our exports to buying every year about 10% of our exports. So they're definitely um, uh, a partner that we cannot ignore. Just as um, Africa, we, we cannot ignore um, uh, uh, our um, uh, neighbors. But um, I want to bring it to some basic trade theory that differentiation brings prosperity. So and we have a huge opportunity at hand with um, China's rebalancing, where they're fo- refocusing their economic uh, economy away from manufacturing towards the service sector, finance, um, retail, etc. So, so they, their economy is changing, and we have an opportunity to step up and um, and uh, uh, in some way take their place instead of selling wood, we are selling paper. Um, and and um, I think these, uh, if, if we participate in trade with China in these terms, it will be definite, 
it will definitely be beneficial to Africa and especially to South Africa. Lumkile, your final thoughts? Uh, we, we think there's a huge opportunity, as Koba saying, in intra-Africa trade, uh, working very, very hard through the African Continental Free Trade Agreement. Um, and China, in this case, might be useful in terms of uh, really uh, helping us in the infrastructure investment that can link trade to Cairo. However, I think Africans need to take it uh, in their own hands, their own destiny.